0: On ABC Radio,
1: this is The Big Fish
0: with Scott Levi.
1: Ahoy there, welcome aboard Grab a Life Jacket, drop the Kellick over and settle in for an hour of fishing. Coming up on The Big Fish, traditional country music balladeer Peter Simpson talks about his fascinating family history up the Goobragandra Way and you'll hear the story of Uncle Charlie who struck gold in the mountains, went on a bender and lit his cigars with five pound notes true story stinker on how to find flathead in his magnificent sandy estuary and we'll head up to Ucombean for a game-changing conservation project to save a rare endangered fish all coming up on the big fish listener of The Big Fish, you know that we're suckers for a good song about a river and so many songs have been written about rivers. They really do, really do captivate the imagination. Peter Simpson's ancestors lived in one of the most spectacular and inaccessible spots in the majestic snowy mountains. But rather than taking the beauty of those deep river valleys uh, teeming with trout and platypus and life and, and those soaring snow-capped peaks, they delved down into the deep, dark rocks Looking for gold, Peter Simpson reckons they missed the true prize that was all around them and has set the record straight in song and joins us this morning on The Big Fish. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Scott. How are we? I'm very well. And true fans of country music would know you and, and your partner, Di Lindsay, you're inseparable and a great duo traveling the, the whole country, really taking country music to uh, every far-flung hall, pretty much, uh, you know, in the tradition of Slim, Slim and Joy.
2: Well, we do, and thank you very much, Scott. And, uh, of course, you know our, our history very well. You were there right at the beginning, and it's a lovely thing to do, and, and we, we're very lucky, that, uh, and we, I feel very privileged we can do that, and it's a really a passion.
1: Yeah, so that, that's such a great story of, of how you fell in love. <laughs> I was there to witness it. it. Is. I feel a part of it. I yeah. feel a little yeah. responsible, because Di Lindsay, of course, comes from uh, Country Music Royalty, a beautiful singer, and, and Reg's daughter. Di was coming in to sing a song, and they said, we need to get a good guitarist. So they, they roped in this bloke called Peter Simpson, and he had a beautiful old um, black country guitar that had heritage. It was, I think it was um, owned by Tex Morton. Tex Morton,
2: that's right. Yeah, yeah. a lovely old Gibson.
1: Yeah. A beautiful old Gibson with incredible tone, and you have that unique picking style that people will see here in the song. And uh, you company, Die, magic happened on the radio, magic happened off the radio, and uh, now you've been a couple for gosh, no, it's part of twenty years now. Twenty years, <laughs> and just this year, both of you received uh, OAMs at the Government House uh, uh, simultaneously. To, to just a, a great sto- story for your service to country music and and what you do up at Tamworth to keep this wonderful these wonderful story songs alive. I, I just think it's it's great. And but let's get back to your ancestors because instead of taking this soaring landscape and the snow-capped peaks and these beautiful trout-filled platypus-filled rivers they were looking down they were delving into the deep dark yep. ground what were they doing up there
2: well my ancestors were they were stokes 't it? Course, the reason i say that is because anybody that googles that place and you can see it it's um, the stokes were quite well known it was my grandfather and his three brothers and they that's what they did most of their life um my grandfather died of pneumonia um, at, at, in his late 40s. But uh, my grandmother's stories were telling us that, it, that when they, they had some success, when they did, they used to go into tumour, and everybody was pretty well off till, until all that money was spent, and back up to the, the Gubra they'd go. But it, as you know, it's a very harsh area, and um, I just wish they had a, bought a few acres up there and left me one. You
1: know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, you, you can't really drive there now. You could probably walk there. um if you go That's as far right. as you can up the Gubra Gandra to the last bridge, ford the river, and then go up towards Kyandra, where of course there was That's so right. much gold, and somewhere in that that secret wilderness they had a gold mine.
2: That's right. They had a, quite a successful one. It was called the King's Mine, and I'm not quite sure of what happened, but they either sold it to the government or they floated it uh, with shares. But whatever, they they didn't come out on the on the top end financially. But as I said, that the area. Uh, it's so special to me uh, as a, a child, uh, you go up there camping and you can just imagine, Scott, fishing and catching those lobsters as well.
1: That's right, yeah, the the river still has plenty of uh, the white-clawed crayfish, a lot of small ones, so they're, they're all protected now, um, right. but you see them in that crystal clear water there, those amazing freshwater crayfish, the, the ones with the, the, the Murray Crays, the ones with the white claws, that's which right. uh, really do stand out, but I think that's the whole point, when a big trout cod or cod came along to eat them they'd zip backwards and the cod would strike at the white claws and and uh they'd throw the claw and get away or well, that was that's my theory of why they have these snowy white claws i don't know what the locals think but uh there's got to be a reason that they <laughs> they glow in that water up the Goobre Gandra, don't they
2: but they do because of course the water's so crystal clean too and uh what it used to be and i'm, I'm sure it still is haven't been up there for a few years that's that's why they're, they're, they're white um, claws as well. Um, of course, the ones I know in the Murrumbidgee, they're, they're the same species, I think, but they they are greenier, more a greeny colour.
1: Yeah, I think they, they had that striking snow white claws when the water yep. was that that clear many many fish do change color depending on the water uh the, the quality of the water don't they i mean if you get yellow belly in real tanniny water they're they're bright yellow on the bottom and if you get, right. get them out in the darling they're almost gray so um you know they go from that saffron belly to almost gray in the turbid water and peter this area is is very very hard to get to once you get to the top of the goob unless you're a really strong bushwalker where they used to go up up to the gold mine uh, that's very inaccessible so they'd go up there and, and mine away delve down deep into the mountain it sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings and then come back to Tumut with a bag of gold is that right?
2: Well that's that's correct that's pretty well the story that, that I've been told and of course <coughs> excuse me, my grandfather died when I was quite young and too young to ever get the chance to have a conversation with him but um, my, for my grandmother that's exactly what happened and and uh, they, they bought some big equipment up there too and there's stories about that. But Just imagine how the harshness of the... of the And the weather, of course, it's freezing cold up there during winter.
1: Oh, so it would yeah. be no easy life. No, it wouldn't. And, and before that track was closed and it's wilderness and, and, you know, it's rehabilitating, which is probably a good thing because of erosion issues, I, I went up there with a, a great four-wheel driver from Tumut, Phil Barton, who uh, took me way up there and we drove all the way up that trail that was cut by your, your ancestors and eventually made it to the Snowy Mountains Highway right up at uh, Kyandra and then off to the Snow Goose at Adam Inniby. And it was a, a great four-wheel driving adventure. Of course, they, oh, it would be. the trail is, is closed. Now you can't can't do it. But we had a, a host of people on board and uh, he sold a few of these four-wheel drives and he said, come with me on an adventure. So off we went and I was the I was a fisherman aboard and we got to the Snow Goose and we had a, a slap-up dinner and Phil was shouting and we had lots of... Uh, lots of bevvies uh, you know, around the around the fire. It was the middle of August. It was freezing cold. Yep. And after a, a few too many drinks around the fire at the Snow Goose, I said to the to the, the masses, I said, I'll go and catch a trout tomorrow morning. Don't you worry. I've got the fly rod there. And they all said, you beauty. All right. And I said, I'll get up at dawn. I'll get up at dawn. And they, they laughed. And anyway, the next morning at dawn, very cold, icy, frozen, frozen ground. And I Jumped in Phil's big four-wheel drive and I raced down to Yens Bay and luckily the mud was frozen. It was so cold and drove across the mud and then there was ice all around the edge of the water. But the fish were really midging. There were a lot of fish rising. And I threw out a big rabbit fur zonka strip matuka and uh, strip, strip, bang, hit a four-pound brown and uh, fought it to the bank. (laughs) Threw it in the back of the truck. I was feeling pretty seedy. We had a very big night. Drove back to the snow goose, went back to bed. And at about nine o'clock in the morning, I hear this knock, knock, knock on the door. And there they all are, all the, the eager four-wheel drivers. And they said, oh, where's the trout, mate? Where's the trout? And I said, it's in the back of the car. <laughs> sure enough, there it was, frozen, frozen stiff, absolutely frozen solid. And they said, you bought that You bought that at the supermarket, Scotty. You didn't catch it. <laughs> I swear to goodness, I, I caught it. And uh, anyway, yeah. they, they had a good, good laugh. But that was the, that time I went up that trail and I just imagine... That was so steep and so treacherous, them, them mining yep. up there. It must have been a, a, a pretty tough operation, Peter.
2: Oh, it would have been in doubt. And that, they were tough, tough men. They were very, very generous men, but very tough. And they, they used I, I had a picture, I was trying to find it, of them going up to the gold mines. But they were dressed in suits, you know, and very well dressed on the way up. And uh, just amazing, that, that lifestyle.
1: And what era are we talking about, Peter? When, when were they uh, mining up there?
2: What would, would, would have been um I think around uh nineteen oh nine or eight or something like that, I think.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So the, yeah. the the rush had finished up up above at Kyandra where there yep, were thirty thousand yep. people living yep. in the in the snow, uh, a lot of uh Chinese people and still some of them uh, you know, stayed. The the Yens and the Dunes amazing that's right. Families from up in the high country, and and uh, some of those other families stayed to graze the the Pendergasts and the Taylors and the Suttons. Um, they uh, still have ancestors all around that that area, don't they? And, and the Stokeses were were not cattlemen or or high country grazers. They were they were gold miners.
2: That's that's, that's correct. The only the only thing I know that the Stokeses oh they were handy builders and things, but not not to a degree of uh, being professional. But they were. All as to my knowledge, uh, my, my grandfather and uh, f- his three three brothers, and uh, Uncle Charlie was one of the brothers, and he, I knew him. He lived a lot longer than the others, and he was big, tall fellow, and just a, a beautiful, beautiful my, man, and um, he was such a, a gentleman. But they were all a bit of scallywags. They, one of the uncles, the uh, story goes, when he uh, had a big strike, he'd go and live in the Royal Hotel in Tumut and rumours over him lighting cigars with five-pound notes, if you can imagine that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the Wild West, isn't it? It's absolutely the Wild West. And, and you've sort of come full circle now because the gold mining was quite destructive. You know, um, still people to this day illegally use in, induction dredging in some of those streams up there That's and, and they, they can wreck the stream. So dob, dob them in when they're big finds. So we've got to leave that gold now. That gold's got to be left because it, it ruins the, the beautiful Kosciuszko, doesn't it? Uh, so those yeah, days should be gone.
2: And, and I'm sure it'll be, be well um, taken care of by the um, no, Kosciuszko National Park people. But I, my advice to anybody that has a chance to go up that way and just have a look at goober and in the Tumut River as well. Uh, that that's a beautiful area. Not only because I come there, from there, I've lived in a lot of different places, but it's always very special to me, Scott.
1: And that's that sort of home, your spiritual home, is it?
2: Oh, every time I go there, I just feel like I've returned. Yeah. And we're yeah. doing a show in Wagga in May, as I told you, but well, actually with one of your old mates, uh, Grant Lewis.
1: Ah oh, Grant's a fabulous yeah. country music star. I love he's his song it's hard to be a, he's a great song it's hard to be a cowboy with a poodle by your side
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's a too and but he's a lovely fellow we love him, but you' have motivated me now to uh, on the way back i'm going to try to call into tuber and go up for a drive up the goobra if i can
1: and and of course, um, the good thing about this song is is um, you you mentioned redfinn. Just maybe for alliteration, you know that it's a, a trout stream and there are river blackfish in there as well, the native river blackfish. But that's uh, right. you, you love to catch a redfin down down there in those days when you were growing up because they are the best to eat. I mean, they're just a fantastic freshwater fish to eat. But Oh, it's... they
2: are. Yeah, down where, where the began to runs into the Tumut River, there's little estuaries there that uh, are quite still. And, of course, that's where the redfin like to, to, to uh, if you can get, get onto one of those little pools... Um, you can pull quite a few redfin out.
1: That's right. But if unlike you,
2: you I just—I've always just used worms, and uh, that's right. And uh, you have some success with that,
1: though. Oh yeah, if you get one redfin, you'll get twenty, um, and and they Red... are spectacular to eat. We don't like them because they're invasive, so eating that's them, right. eating as many as you like, doesn't doesn't hurt uh, at all because they do carry some diseases that can affect the uh, the native fish and and the trout. So a redfin gets a mention in this song, and it's turning it full circle, isn't it? You you were saying maybe your ancestors missed the real gold is that right
2: i i, I believe that's the case because uh, they were so involved with trying to make a living and, and searching for that gold they wouldn't have unlike me had the opportunity to go up there and camp and just take in all that beauty and and really um and the whole thing it's, it's life in general sometimes scott we can search for something but the real treasure can be right in front of us
1: Well, it's lovely to hear the beautiful Di Lindsay uh, adding some vocals on this one as well. It's uh, the banks of the Goobra, uh, Peter Simpson, uh, his old stomping ground. Uh, You're on tour, Pete, so people can catch you all around New South Wales. and You head near and far, you and Di, is that right?
2: Yeah, next month we've we've, uh, got two trips up to North Queensland, one to Capella, up near Emerald, and the other one is uh, a boulder cone just outside Rockhampton. And some friends of ours have a festival up there, a, a traditional tribe festival. And, look, we, we just love what we're doing. And uh, I laugh at Di all the time. She says, oh, this year we'll just take it a bit easier. And then I find we're not home for one weekend. But, anyway, <laughs> that, that's all good.
1: Yeah, one wonderful life on the road as travelling country troubadours. Here it is, Banks of the Gandra, a special song for a special couple, Peter Simpson and Di Lindsay. Thanks for talking to us, Pete.
2: Thank you very much, Scott, and thanks for all your support. Mm-hmm.
3: Just little old me and a black cup of tea The scent of the bush and the river On the banks of the goobra With my old Kubra. I might catch a redfin for dinner Now these mountains I'm told Why they're loaded with gold My ancestors worked all their life, but broken and old. Some even died in the cold, with not much to show for their life. But there's lots to be found in the mind of this clown. I'll I'll be a rich man forever. For the treasure I found, not the gold in the ground, but the beauty on the banks of that river was the first ray of light. That farewell tonight, as a cascade of diamonds float by, and the platypus play to a wondrous display. Nature in the first morning light. Now a story was told of a man long ago. He owned a farm with plenty. Though he wasn't poor, he still wanted more he built bigger barns and so many but i tell you my friend that came to an end he lost all his dreams and his friends he lost his health his farm and his wealth and the joyous life he once had we lose many treasures while we're searching for gold just look around you might see ah the beauty of nature the rivers and trees and maybe some old fool on the banks just like me Just little old me and a black cup of tea, the scent of the bush and that river on the banks of the goobra with a battered cobra. I might catch a redfin for dinner, and the treasure I found not the gold in the ground, but the beauty. On the banks of that river
0: The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio
1: It was the dark of the moon and the prawns were running. The expert and the mug shot across the lake, engine gunning. The whiting were biting, but only on live prawn. Said expert to mug, we'll fill the boat, come the light of dawn. The mug toiled away with light and net. Filling the prawn bucket left him cold and wet. The expert watched on with lots of advice while the shivering mug was bitten by lice. Hurry up, you mug. Tides are turning. We can't be late. We'll bag out now that I've collected the perfect bait. They dropped the anchor. It was cold and black. Remember when they bite? Give them some slack. They cast their prawn rigs out into the dark. The expert said, we'll catch our bag. This will be a lark. They fished on and on, hour after hour. Not a bite, not a touch. The situation was dour. The mug gave the expert an evil look as he threaded another live prawn onto his hook. All bloody night without even a nibble. You call yourself expert. What a load of drivel. As the scene was illuminated by the rosy light of dawn, they saw a crab shuffling off with a prawn. The mug gave the expert the back of his hand. You bloody fool, he said. We've been casting onto the sand. <laughs> As they motored home across the lake, the mug thought, how was I duped by this fake? My family's waiting at home with the skillet and we're heading back without even a fillet. The expert now chastened said, I know how to sate their hunger. On the way home, we'll call in at the fishmonger. The expert has now pawned his rod and reel o. The price of redemption $69 a kilo. ABC Radio, this is the Big Fish. Coming up on the Big Fish Stinker and a great project in the Snowy Mountains to save a rare and endangered fish.
4: Well now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the fishing hole. We may not get a bite all day but don't you rush away. What a great place to rest your bones And mighty fine for skipping stones You feel fresh as a lemonade Setting in the shade Whether it's hot Whether it's cool Oh, what a spot For whistling like a fool What a fine day to take a stroll and wander by the vision hole. I can't think of a better way to pass the time of day. We'll have no need to call the road when we get to the vision hole. There'll be you, me, and old dog tray to the time away. If we don't a perch or bass We'll cool our toes in dewy grass Or else pull up a weed to chow And maybe set in all Hanging around Taking our ease, Watching that hound A-scratching at his flea Come on, take down your fishing pole And meet me at the fishing hole I can't think of a better way to pass the time of day
0: The Big Fish on ABC Radio
5: Here comes tinker with
3: his fishing tips Some hot advice for your fishing trip
6: Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate?
1: Good morning, Stinker. Welcome back to The Big Fish. Hey, Scott. Stinker, fishing is such an interesting thing because it can be so nuanced. There's so many different facets to it. What you do is so unique compared to what someone who might just put a little boat out at Salamander Bay and, and drift around for a... Uh, a trumpet of whiting or something i mean there's just so much to it it's it's never boring is it
6: never never boring and and you've made it that we've never really spoken much about inside the harbor because i'm such an outside the harbor person but you're right there there is so many opportunities that make themselves available inside port stephens and i've mentioned on many occasions how huge it is. It's a massive waterway. It's difficult to comprehend unless you actually come here and drive up a lookout called Gan Gan Lookout to the very top and then get yourself up there and then have a look. And it will amaze you because it goes way back west of Soldiers Point and then into the Karooa River, which, which winds its way up into the feeder streams in the mountains, and then of course it's also fed by the Myall River, which flows up through tea gardens into the Myall Lakes. So it's just a bit too big to get your head around, really.
1: It is, and that beautiful water in parts of the the bay too. You know, particularly closer to where you are, around um, Shoal Bay, lovely, lovely swimming and and snorkelling, and and it's really got that nice tropical blue look to it hasn't it and then further up into tea gardens you get that tanniny water uh, up into the male lakes system that looks like a cup of tea doesn't it
6: <laughs> well that's that's right it's flowing through that uh, the tea tree up in in the lakes and just flows out it's a beautiful place hawks nest tea gardens i spend a lot of time over there just to drop back a cog or two if whenever i need a a bit of a break, (laughs) and even from Kingle Bay, which doesn't go real fast in the first place. But, yes, see, at the mouth, of course, the the water's very clear. And if you talk about, oh, Nelson Bay and Shoal Bay and Jimmy's Beach on the north side, the water is just beautiful and crystal clear and the sand is is pearly white. So you would think you might be on some great overseas adventure when, in fact, you're Mm. just in your backyard.
1: Yeah, that that sand colour there at, at Jimmy's Beach is so clear. I can see why the Prime Minister used to always go there. You know, it's just like swimming in the tropics, isn't it? The water is so beautiful.
6: Well, what it's really the best fishing that can be done in those areas that I just mentioned is probably flathead because, oh, gee, they flathead really... It must be the home of flathead Port Stevens because you can catch them way up in the feeder streams and then way back down to the mouth of um, when Yakabar and Tomaree. So there's hardly anywhere. Well, there is actually nowhere that I can tell you that you won't catch a flathead. It, and your most the best chances is right on the shoreline. It's interesting, Scott, because I, at the moment I'm I'm writing a book called Banjo the Brim, <laughs> and, and I'm following the life history of a little brim that was born underneath the Karua Bridge and where this brim goes to during its uh, life's journey. Oh, dear. And so it's actually given me a time to sit down and think, dear oh me you know, the options for brim fishing in this harbour are extraordinary with the oyster racks and and the mangroves and all the rock walls. Anywhere you find a mangrove or an oyster, you'll find a brim.
1: Yeah. Hey, which one's which? Tomaree, is that the one at the south end or the north side? And which one, those giant sentinels that stand guard over the mouth to the giant estuary, uh, the port?
6: Yeah, well, Tomaree's the, the um the, not the highest. The highest is Yakabar on the north side, and then Tomaree, is on the south side, and they're called North and South Head, but we prefer to call them Yakabar and Tomaree, and they're so majestic. Yeah, they're beautiful, I mean, again, aren't they? Oh, they're beautiful, and again, you you get that feeling that gee, this can't be in in my backyard. This has got to be somewhere that you've got to pay a lot of money for to go overseas. <laughs> yeah. But no,
1: yeah, it's like something out of Fiji or something. The way they tower up over the beach. They, uh, what are they? What, what, what's the geological structure?
6: Oh, gee, mate, I'm they're a fisherman. They're all, all
1: volcanic plugs or something, aren't they? They're all volcanoes. Oh, well,
6: the others, some of them. There are things here called Stevens Peak and a few others, um, uh, Quarry Hill and whatever, and they're all conical. But the headlands aren't conical, so I really, I'm not a geologist, mate. I really can't tell you, but I know they're hard and, and they take a long time to wear down. But interestingly enough, I do um, motor out to Broughton Island quite often and you motor underneath Yacobar and it ha- you can see it actually um, landslides and rock boulders toppling down, so all that uh, erosion, is is still happening uh, and uh, I just hope it doesn't happen when I'm in a boat underneath it. That's no, you it.
1: don't want a, a big boulder coming down and I tell you what you don't want to fall down when you're in a boat is the looking glass.
6: Oh, well, that's out on on um, Broughton Island, yes. Well, that's very strange geology around here but getting back up into the port, Scott, I mean, we've spoken about brim and, and flathead but, I mean, there's um, blue swimmers and mud crabs they're up in there in numbers. There are places in the port that aren't spoken about very regularly that there are really good lobsters inside the port. That's a quite. Oh,
1: there's one. a secret. There's a there's secret. A secret. <laughs> You'll be run yeah. out of town if you let these sorts of things out.
6: Yeah, well, then you've got to find them is the hard part. Yeah. And, then and of course, there's whiting, beautiful whiting. And then the uh, Karooa Bridge um, is famous for Mulloway. And then the, um, the tuna come into the port. The kingfish come into the port. Snapper are in there. We're catching snapper up to eight, and nine kilo inside the port. It's just a fishing festival inside this port. And really, I keep a very close eye on it. Um, as the residents of this community do, and anything that we think is inappropriate or may in fact um, threaten what we have, um, we become quite vocal.
1: Yeah, and I think the other great thing about Jimmy's Beach and Shoal Bay uh, is the fact that they're family magnets, aren't they? Like Fingal, yes. Fingal too, where yes. you live. But there's not pounding surf. There's not giant rips. Um, it's just such uh, lovely swimming. Obviously, you know, be careful and watch the kids at all time. But it's just such a lovely family place to visit yeah. i think little little kids love it don't they because it's not a, a giant pounding wave that's going to sweep them out it's just lovely beaches without um massive surf
6: well not only beaches but also um jetties and wharves. and there are some crackers throughout the port uh, one at Shoal bay i think is just well, you know, it's like a big dance floor at Shell Bay and they're all there. Yeah. Every day they're there yeah. on it and it's great to see. And then also up at Salamander, there's a big one and another one at Soldiers Point, And they're just crowded, particularly during the school holidays. The families just jam onto them and it's a perfect place for kids to learn how to catch fish.
1: What's the best fish you've ever seen come off one of those uh, wharfs like down at, at, I don't know, Little Beach or or Shoal Bay?
6: Oh, Little Beach. Little Beach. Um, They fish there with big long rods and and, uh, octopus for bait and cast as far as they can. I saw a bloke one day with a bag of eight snapper up to eight kilo caught off one of the wharves in... Uh, little Beach, that and that's pretty. active There's a lot of people go around there. So that's a that's where the num, number one uh, boat launching site is. But I, when this guy walked off the jetty with his huge bag of fish, I thought he'd been to Broughton Island He said, "No, mate." He said, "I got him right." And I saw him. I saw him catch a couple. I thought, "Oh, these are big fish."
1: Was that after a big sea outside or something? What brings them in?
6: Oh uh, no, not necessarily It's just part of their their um, cycle and they come into the deep water. There are only a couple of places that are really deep water in Port Stevens. and there's one place out at Soldier's Point that where the, all the um, mulloway hang around, and that's about 80 or 90 feet deep. But generally speaking, the port is very shallow. So if you can find a, a deepish hole, you have a big chance to find uh, good fish, particularly snapper. But the history, and I'm, I'm into that, the history of Port Stevens tells us that um, some of the fishing expeditions inside Port Stephens caught the most extraordinary snapper, and of course mulloway up to 50 kilo. And oh look, it's just a wonderland. If you're a fishing person and you really love fishing, oh, in the, in this state, New South Wales, there is no better place. There is no one, nowhere better.
1: And we must say that Stinger doesn't get paid by the tourism Port Stephens people. But he should be. <laughs> I agree. You tell him. Tight lines, buddy. There God. Coming up on the big fish, some brilliant work being done in the snowy mountains to save a, a beautiful and rare little native fish.
5: I'm tired of this rhythm and blues. I'm gonna grab me a pole and go down to the hole. And kick off my blues, wait, you. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. So if you can't wait, just get you some bait and come go fishing with me. I love my boogie woogie. I love to. but I need a break, I'm going down to the lake, and get me a wide mouth bass, I'm going fishing, I'm going fishing, so if you can't wait, just grab some bait, and come go fishing with me. Shout out, tango ray, but I'll be in my dream, i going up the screen, I'll be back in 30 days, I'm going fishing. Oh yes, I'm going fishing. And just grab your
0: the big fish on abc radio
1: you've heard a lot on this program about the stocky galaxia and i love them because i'm a bit stocky myself well there's some great news about stocking the stockies in a safe place and gillian keating who uh, looks after these beautiful little fish from the high country that are critically endangered joins us on the line from the snow mountains good morning gillian
0: good morning scott how are you
1: going well this is great news about the recovery program for these bute little fish. Tell us about the release earlier in the week.
0: I, I must admit I'm still buzzing from the event. It was really quite extraordinary and very exciting for all of the people that have been involved in the hard work behind the scenes for at least three years to, to reach this point. Um, yeah, it. I guess for a, for a threatened fish manager, it doesn't get much better than being involved in the first um, release of the first captive bred individuals of a, as you said, critically endangered species into the first artificial refuge that has been created just for them. So I'm very chuffed, definitely.
1: That's great. And and uh, if we work on fixing their habitat, I know the feral horses have uh, had a terrible uh, part to play in, in wrecking a lot of those beautiful streams up in the high country, but if we restore their habitat, can we spread them further afield than the, uh, the, the Burroughs Refuge Dams?
0: Um, absolutely. The the you Can Bean Burroughs Dams or that, that site that we have worked really hard to create over the last couple of years, um, it, it's definitely showing promise with what we've done. But if um, it does prove to be successful, and obviously there'll be monitoring that follows this release, Um, That is absolutely our vision. It's to almost create, um, I guess, what you'd call a metapopulation, these small areas where um, the stocky galaxids can live so that um, there, there are a number of them in geographically distinct locations so that if there is an event, a catastrophic event, for example, a bushfire, um, and that impacts one of them, there'll still be others that can help um, carry the species into the future.
1: They're such a pretty little fish, aren't they, in their... I in know. Their, they, yeah, that, their spawning livery, do they change colour a bit when they're around spawning time?
0: They, they do, actually, on the, the lead-up to, um, to their spawning period, which is sort of falls around that October-November period. They definitely cover up, colour up, sorry, and that's the way that you can actually distinguish between the males and females. And the camouflage that they, they have with their surroundings is quite astounding too. They are this gorgeous kind of golden colour with, with marking sort of striations, I guess, along the sides. But seeing them yesterday they, when they were released into the... Um, into their new home, it was amazing to sort of see how perfectly they blended or camouflaged in with the, the sediment and the, the cobbles lining the stream that we'd created. So, yeah, that was really lovely to see too.
1: Tell us about the burrows down near the, the, the dam wall at Eucan
0: So this is um, a site um, that my colleague Luke Pearce, I think you've spoken with him before, and a really incredible lady who works for National Parks and Wildlife Service and who's involved in, in rehab for National Parks called Gabby Wilkes. They'd had conversations for quite a while or they kind of catched this idea um, about potentially turning this site, which is an old snowy hydro site, rehabilitating it so it would suit um, the habitat requirements for stocky galaxies perfectly. But it sort of sat there on the... Um, backbench, I guess, for a while because we, we didn't have sort of opportunities financially to, to be able to progress it. But um, it all kind of, I guess, speeded up a little bit and I, I kind of describe it, I guess, as a almost a silver lining in the power cumulus cloud of those hideous bushfires that we all lived through a couple of years ago because it actually provided us with some of the financial um, support that, that followed the, the federal government had a bushfire recovery programme for threatened species which Southeast LLS helped deliver. We we had that opportunity to sort of go, okay, we've got this idea to set up an alternative site for the stocky galactsas because they were actually fifty six percent of their habitat was burnt during the fire and we um, we basically had an emergency response where ourselves um, so DPI Fisheries and facilitated by National Parks and Mark Lentimans who's kind of the the grandfather of galaxids and, and other threatened fish. Oh, we...
1: Literally with the flowing white beard, yes.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he was described in the minute.
1: described in the Sydney Morning Herald as youthfully agile, bounding up oh, waterfalls no. to save this endangered fish. He's a, he's a, a character. He's a
6: character, yeah. he sure
1: is. My old bushwalking mate, um, Luke Pierce too, a terrific fellow, loves yeah. his, his fish. So you were saying that uh, Mark was uh, part of the fun yesterday?
0: Oh, he was part of the fun yesterday and when he had his bucket of um, fish and was about to release them into the... into the um, stream, um, yeah, he was sort of wobbling around on the rocks. And I said, oh, wasn't there something in that article about, you you know, not doing that? Please don't fall in for me. He's going to get beautifully as a child. I went, yes, yes, Linto.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and tell us about their their new home. Is it nice, clear water? I know the water in the Yukon Bean below the wall, where it's, you know, obviously a, a bit of a trickle, is crystal clear. So is it sort of nice, filtered, high country water?
0: It is looking fantastic now, Scott. It's just amazing. The the first... So I guess the... So the boroughs is a series of um, four separate ponds or dams and what we've done with National Parks is actually connected those up um, or connected a couple of them up and sort of lined it with geofabric, um, introduced rocks into the system... Made it all the right depth, created a little pool and riffle habitats as it goes down, planted it out with sort of in stream and riparian vegetation, that kind of thing. But the first two, the first stage of the project, so linking um, two of the ponds, that sort of probably has been in place for roughly 18 months. And whilst we kind of had you know, a bit of algal growth and whatnot, which is what happens all the time to, when you first rehabilitate a site. That's all cleared up now and we've got this beautiful crystal clear, as you said, water flowing down these channels and they're also full of water bugs, which is another really great part of this project. We've had our Water Watch coordinators and citizen scientists help do a couple of water bug surveys for us to show um, what sort of stocky Galaxus food would be available for them before we actually release them. And then they did a little bit... Um, Yesterday at the event as well, so that they could pull out and show um, the participants what the different water bugs look wow. like yeah. between um, the dams and then the riffle habitat as well.
1: Sounds so. like a five-star hotel for stocky galaxias. Oh, it's just brilliant, <laughs> absolutely great. And, of course, uh, the feral fish that predate on them and, and also uh, a native fish that, that gets them too. It's interesting that the the very clever climbing galaxid. <laughs> Can sneak up through the pipes and tunnels of the Snowy Mountain Scheme and, and get into places where they also eat them. So, is it uh, secure from all of those threats?
0: It, it, it is. Um, it's behind locked gates within a part of national parks. Um, it has the site itself has been fenced as well. We've got security cameras in place, that kind of thing as well, so that there's. Protected, I guess, from that that human element. Um, we did, unfortunately, have some trout um, fingerlings. I think, yeah, they were brook trout released a little while ago, very early in the piece when we were um, creating the habitat. So that was, yeah, that was very unfortunate, actually, because we had to net all of them out. And then we've done three environmental DNA, eDNA surveys since just to make sure that we Got all of the trout out because yes, they all can right. be voracious predators. They can of stocky galaxes. Yes. Well,
1: hopefully they're they're too small for the the cormorant population to worry about. Well, that's
0: the other. Yes, there was there was one that flew overhead, and there were quite a few people. <laughs> Oh, no, don't
1: land, no don't land.
0: They're also quite clever at you know, getting mm. in underneath rocks and whatnot in a stream. Yeah, so they that might that be able sort of to
1: shit. hide from, from the cormorants that live up there as well. Gillian, it's a right. really positive story on the road to recovery for the stocky Galaxia, beautiful little fish, and it's so nice that people like you and you mentioned Mark Lindemans and, and um, Luke Pierce and all of the people at New South Wales Fisheries and National Parks oh,
0: and, and all Chester of those University too, CSU I'd, crew. I'd definitely, oh, they have done the most extraordinary job in cracking the code for breeding these little fish, too. That's definitely worth a mention because, um, yeah, we wouldn't have been releasing them yesterday if they hadn't put in two years at least, well, two to three years really of of hard work and they are very tricky little fish to both keep in captivity, they can get very aggressive and we had to separate out some of the ones that were collected (laughs) after the fires. But then breeding-wise too, the first year was just um, fraught with all sorts of issues, sort of males being down the wrong end of the tank when all the action was happening up the (laughs) other end and females (laughs) eating their own eggs and it was really... Really quite something. So to have learnt everything that they have now so that we have actually got that sort of blueprint, I guess, for how to keep them in captivity but then also how to breathe them it's a massive breakthrough and it really will go a long way for securing the future of this critically endangered
1: fish well creating this habitat of the burrows too Uh, hopefully they'll 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 breed in there with what uh, the CSU scientists have worked out well done to uh, our Charles Sturt University crew as well Gillian I can hear it in your voice you're still walking on on water you're absolutely on (laughs) on a high after the uh, uh, stocking of the stocky galaxia uh, up there in the high country thanks for sharing the story with us and keep up the good work
0: No problem at all. Thank you very much, Scott.
1: Gillian Keating there, New South Wales DPI Fisheries Threatened Species Manager.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the
1: ABC Listen app.